All right, welcome to episode 62 of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we welcome back a very special guest. We got Suleiman Jenkins. He's the author, co-author of Life is Wrong. And yeah, welcome Suleiman. How are you doing, man? Appreciate it. Doing well, man. Doing well. Hey, man, welcome back to the show. <laughs> and so, appreciate I mean, before, before, absolutely, man. And then so kind of before we get into it, we wanted to catch up with you and ask you, since you and Muda have obviously been recording the book in the studio, like, what's that been like? And how have you guys been doing that? Yeah. Oh, it's been amazing, man. You know, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, the project itself is sort of like taking on this, its own life, you know, um, you know, writing, it was one thing. Um, and we always thought about doing the audio book, uh, because we thought that it was going to be, uh, a different experience. You know, it's, it, it's very rare. I think that you find, um, authors and narrators of a book doing the same audio book. Generally they hire somebody to do voiceover. So I think mm-hmm. this is going to be, you know, he and I spoke about this a long time. I, we think that this is going to be one of the uh, you know, one of the special uh, attracting points of the audiobook is that it's actually going to be in, his, you know, the protagonist's voice. And, you know, people, you know, people obviously attracted to, uh, you know, Mathal because he was, a, you know, former former rap artist. So, you know, they like to hear his, they like to hear his voice. And then, you know, I put my own, um, I put my own, you know, narrating skills there. Um, it's been cool. It's been very tiring. You know, it's been, uh, it's a lot more work than you would imagine, yeah. you know, reading the book. And even he himself said, he said, you know, recording uh, songs with Pac, was it nearly this tiring? You know, it's very tiring. We had, we had to do quite yeah. a, quite a few sessions, but you know, you know, hopefully it'll be it'll be well well worth it. You know, when you guys hear it. Yeah. How many hours does that take? Is that like something where it's like you could do one take, or Uh-oh. you have to read it a certain way, and then if you nah, don't read it a certain nah, way, you got to. Nah, nah. Well, no, no, you can take yeah. When you're actually doing the process, you can you can you know you can mess up take having you know, different have different takes. And then the, the uh, I don't know I don't know what the name is uh, guest producer uh, mm-hmm. they'll mix it up and master it and cut it all out so you know do all that stuff so that's not making mistakes is not a problem but it's just the actual effort involvement it's it, we um, it's going to be probably about we're almost finished it's, it, we've already done twelve chapters that's been five and a half hours wow. recording time mm-hmm. you know five and a half hours man so by the time it's all, all done it's probably going to be about seven hours of you know nonstop you know recording which is you know it's cool, you know, but it's long. <laughs> you know, I know somebody else who did uh, a similar process uh, to what you guys yeah. are doing. And I think it's a, it's a smart idea. Um, you guys know who uh, David Goggins is? The name sounds familiar, but no. He was like a, not familiar. Mm. He was like a former uh, Marine SEAL. Um, he used to be uh-huh. like, back, he has a yeah, big inspirational story, like used to be like 300 pounds uh, lost the weight like real fast, joined wow. the army, uh, was one of the first wow. uh, black wow. people uh, in, the, in the Marines to get through, um, I forgot what it's called, BUDS, mm-hmm. like the, the training that they do. And like right, right. in the audio book, like he did a lot of it in his own voice too. Uh, right, and right, with a right. co-author, just like how you guys are right. doing. Sure, sure. And, that, and that added like such a, like, a, like for me too, because it was in his voice. And you could hear him, and like it's exactly. about him. Exactly. That that drew exactly. me to the book. So exactly. I think, exactly. yeah. And what's exactly. so dope? Exactly. And what's so dope about exactly. like what? That's actually one. Go ahead. Man. No, go ahead. 
I was going to say, what's so dope about like the process, the way that you guys framed the book. And I was actually telling a friend of mine, uh, my friend Sky. So we were talking about how like, um, so her and I like frequently talk about like editing and sort of different ways to write books and kind of like how editors sure. have their own sort of ways of structuring it. And so what was so cool about the way you guys made it was that like for you, and, you know, our audience and when you guys get to read the book is that mm -hmm. like you structured it in different pieces and where in each piece yes. they would have a part that's yours and then a part that's moves. And so it would be like, let's say chapter one exactly. and then, yeah. And then like part one of chapter chapter one and it would be like you're telling right. of the story and so it would have like academic right. references and it would have pretty much like right. it would be told like a narration and then Muda would tell right. it from a first person perspective right. and so right. what was cool is the way you guys kind of divided it up and you could kind of get to right. see the perspective from an outsider's bird's eye view and then you would see it from his perspective exactly. too which was really cool exactly exactly yeah I mean I was you know not for nothing man but you know that was the vision from you know before you know because I, I, I wrote the whole thing but um but Muta, you know, his voice was very important to, you know, to have the, the, you know, the narrations. And, you know, we didn't really know how it was going to work. But for me, you know, as an author, it was, it was very important to have his voice throughout because, you know, that, like, you know, I think we mentioned this last time, just adds a layer of authenticity, you know, to the whole yeah. book. Um, and we, you know, I think, you know, based on the reviews that we've gotten so far, you know, I think we did that successfully. And it really came out when we were doing the recording, you know, because it's like, you know, we're going back and forth and you got Mu has his firsthand account of these things. And then you have me that comes behind it, you know, as a narrator and I have my, you know, my narrating voice. I know how I, how I want the book to sound because I wrote it, you know, so, you know, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just an amazing process, man. It's, it's, it's a real, you know, it's like the Kobe Shaq, you know, Jordan Pippen, you know, type yeah. collaboration, Magic and Kareem, you know, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's serious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited, man, for the people. Yeah. yeah, and the way you use like uh, historical context in the terms of like what was going on in Muta's life at the time and what was going on in the news, I thought that was exactly. that was great. And like how you're talking about um, like what Irvington was like for him growing up, right. I didn't right. know it was like that. Like for right. me, I had like at least from from my knowledge, like you always knew he uh, like Leon always knew more about uh, like Tupac and the Outlaws way more than right. me. I knew, right, I knew a right, bit right. and of course respect all that right but then as right, I'm reading right. this book I'm like holy shit like he went through it he had a crazy right. crazy right. upbringing you know right. and it, it was like um what was that movie New, New Jack City <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah yeah there was parts <laughs> where I'm reading in there where I was like okay whoa this is like you know right. this is some serious it's yeah serious. It's serious. Yeah, serious. and yeah. that was also again you know that was <clears throat> again you know um from, again, from an author's perspective, that was critical for me, you know, because as an, as an author, you have to, you have to, before you even sit down for a piece of writing, anything, academic, newspaper, article, whatever, you have to imagine who's going to be reading your piece, right? Who is the audience? Who are you writing this towards? So I wanted to make the audience as broad as possible, you know, um, because, yeah, obviously, you know, Mutaz African-American, I'm African-American. Yeah, he's Muslim. Yeah, I'm Muslim. Yeah, he's in rap. You know, I listen to rap. But I, you know, we, we wanted I wanted the book to, to reach more people in that. I don't you know that's not the only audience. His audience his story is a human story at the end of the day, you know. So I wanted to touch any human that could read it, you know, regardless of race, color, creed, you know, religion, whatever. Um, and this is one of the things that was important to me is that I had to imagine, okay, who are the readers that aren't familiar with Tupac? Who are the who are the readers that aren't familiar with Black America? Who are the readers that aren't familiar with, you know, the influence that Tupac had on Black America? Who are the readers that aren't familiar with the time, you know, the 90s, you know what I mean? So 
all of those things, you know, I sort of, I sort of, uh, you know, had in my mind as I'm writing the script to make sure that, you know, whoever reads it, if you, you know, like Biggie said, if you don't know, now you know, like you didn't know before, but hopefully by the time you finish, you, you know, you know, and you, and you have an appreciation. And for those people who do know, you know, then, it, you know, at least they can, they, they know the information, but there might be things that they didn't know, you know, specifically. And at the very least, they just enjoy the literary ride. Hopefully, you know, the writing style is, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, uh, enjoyable enough, you know, it can be of, of, of benefit for even people who do know the story. Right. Mm. And, you know, something that I thought was a big focus or one of the major focuses of the book was that, you know, often in our culture, kind of when people, you know, how sort of the, our culture, I guess, or society is stratified and we have like sort of people who live here and people who live there and often right. sort of, especially in terms of the people who are against, you know, obviously, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, where they would say sure. something, oh, well, like, you know, those kind of people in the ghettos, right, they're sort of destined to right. be like criminals or savages. Exactly. Or just Yeah, right. Or they're just meant to be like sort of terrible people. And we just kind of want to keep exactly. them over there. And so exactly. what I loved about this book is that so obviously, kind of, it's become a cliche where the, and I wrote about this in the review, too. So where we think like a person's early environment is his destiny. So we think like, oh, well, right. if a person sort of grows up in tragedy, I mean, he's going to end up being that kind of person. So the hate exactly. you give, right, sort of obviously, right. sort Right. becomes or perpetuates in the community right, right? but that's right. not always necessarily true and so even though obviously muda in the beginning had a difficult personality which was unquestionable the one thing you see throughout the book is his heart so it's like as he grows up and as he matures and as he develops into the man that he was obviously meant to be in the beginning you see like these little kernels of potential right it's like even though he was sort of right. wilding out and doing these crazy things obviously he also had a great heart and then he was also great to his friends and he was loyal he and so then the story that stood out to me man oh my god I can't even believe he did this when corrupt came through and this dude actually ended up taking the charge for him i was like who the hell does that like that is that is loyalty to the max so sometimes people on the outside they think like oh, all of these people in the ghetto sort of like they're out there for themselves and they don't care about anybody else so not fucking true man so it's like Bermuda, the way you kind of see it again so obviously there were difficult parts to him and definitely there were things that he did that i'm sure he regrets but what you kind of see is that the development is that a person's don't no matter, no matter what hell they're going through, that that person always has the potential to rise above it and become something greater. And so just to not kind of go off on a rant about it, but because I want to focus on this too, but whatever, I'm just, this is the preliminary part of it. So remember, remember, Saul, when we talked about the aspects of post-traumatic growth? Um, so do you remember like yeah, we talked exactly. about, yeah. Yeah. So what I kind of actually ended up doing, and I'm, I don't want to get into this like too much now, just because there's a lot here and I want to kind of go through it step by step. So what I did is sure. I actually picked out quotes from the book sure. and I, and I pretty much like lined them up with the elements right. of post-traumatic growth. And what you actually see in the book is that Muda actually oh, cool. all of the elements of post-traumatic growth. So like all of the solid elements, if you wow. kind of look, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at the different quotes, you can actually see that he actually meets all of the elements. So what that does, and I think this is so important is it challenges the idea that somebody who grows up in hell is just sort of destined to be, I don't know, let's say a savage or somebody who's kind of like, you know, uh, detrimental right. to the environment. So that's not true, man. You could kind of right. see when there's sort of, when there are interventions and when there are people who care about you, what happens is that no matter where you're from, man, that doesn't dictate who you become, at least mm -hmm. not in the long run or it doesn't have to. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And one of the things too, man, you know, about this, this point was, um, you know, it was important for me for people to see you know, that number one, you know, um, yeah, a person might be a prisoner of circumstances in prison, the environment, but, you know, sometimes people are just put in those environments, you know, like for instance, his, his father was affluent before he was murdered. You know, his father was, his father had no problems with money. You know, um, Irvington was a thriving community, 
-hmm. before, you know, the riots took place, before crack hit, you know, so there's no telling, I mentioned this in the book, there's no telling that, you know, what, you know, had his father been alive with all that money, he probably would have moved him out of that neighborhood. And then, you know, Motal Bill would have been a completely different person, you know what I mean? Um, because, you know, he wouldn't have had to, you know, he wouldn't have been in the environment where there's crack around, you know, it wouldn't have been as dangerous. Um, he may not even have met the people that he met, you know, so, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, and the thing is, is, as you mentioned, you know, just because he, you know, Irvington ended up changing to become sort of a, you know, a, a, a destitute, you know, um, environment, very dangerous. It wasn't always like that. And he just, he had no choice but to grow up in the environment that he was in. But he didn't, you know, he didn't become a prisoner of the, of the, of the environment. I mean, he was affected and that's clearly, you clearly see that throughout, even to this day, you know, Irvington is a very, uh, a very um, substantial part of his makeup, who he is as a person, you know, but he was able to leave, you know, what was negative and he was able to turn himself around. That's, that's really a powerful story, you know, for anybody who, who, you know, who sort of, uh, you know, find themselves in that, you know, situation where they think they can't get out. There are ways to get out. You know, you, you might be in, you know, a prisoner of circumstances, but you know, there are ways to get out. It's not, it's not, you're not you're not doomed and destined to be there right yeah and for him it was a it was a challenge right when he got to la the first time when well not the first time but uh when he got out there and this is when he started making real money uh with uh i forgot that company inter right. interscope interscope there mm -hmm. you go and interscope. yeah they yeah. yeah they flew him out there you know you see how he sees how beautiful it is over there and like he recognizes right. the right. beauty but at the same time he's like i'm not used to this yeah, like I'm, exactly. you know, exactly. I'm I'm from Irvington, exactly. and like I, I, you know, I, I he felt more comfortable when he was in the recording studio with the guys with the, uh, you know, strap right. yeah, yeah, guns yeah. and stuff like that. He's like, actually, this guy was at home, you know, yeah. and 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 right. obviously that was early on. Right. He, right. Of course, right. he changes more and more, but you know, like it's it's not easy, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. what did he say? You, uh, you could take the man out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the man, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can't take the hood out there, man. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> does he still feel that? Does he still feel that way? Like, does he still feel like there's some remnant of Irvington in him? Absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I mean, you know, you know, not for nothing, but one, there was one, um, you know, of all the reviewers, one of the reviewers, uh, one of their comments um, was that, you know, you, you know, you, the references, too many references to Irvington, and you know. He was the only person that said this. Everybody else, you know, they, they, they you know, they, they thought it was fine. Um, but I had to, you know, he's like, because we know what the hood is and this and this and that. And he's like, yeah, for you, you might know what the hood is, but other people may not know what the hood is and they may not know how much a person is attached, you know, to this place that they've grown up. Um, Irvington is very much a part of who, you know, Motal is. And he, you know, he, you know, that was something that came out to me in his whole ride, this whole project is that he loves Irvington. You know, he might be, he might've gone to LA um, you know, uh, Atlanta and things like that. But Irvington is a staple of who is just very much like Brooklyn is a, is a part of me. Like I, you know, I, you know, my, my, my blood type is BK, you know, that's, that's what's up. <laughs> that's what's you know, up. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's just, it's just a part of you, you know, and, and it, it makes you, you know, and I, you know, that, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with loving where you grew up in, you know, and, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's just, I think it's just a human, it's just a human thing obviously you know he says he probably would never uh go back there to live and things like that just because it's dangerous you know but it it, it is uh, a key part of his uh identity you know 
Yeah. So something that someone asked me, I think maybe even a few people asked me. So when they read my book review, they asked me like, um, so I didn't focus on it too much because I kind of wanted the story, the book to speak for itself, but I do actually sure. want to bring it onto, into the podcast. Sure. So someone sure. asked me, um, so this was the part where I mentioned about like, um, so I said something along the lines of, so I said that Muda's life was essentially a combination of like, you know, tragedy and sort of triumph or something along those lines. And then Islam was yeah. the tipping point. And someone was like, Oh, but what did that mean? Like, well, how did Islam sort of help them? So, um, so I actually wanted to bring that into the podcast and ask you so sure. so can you tell us about sort of Muda's transformation and how kind of like what the steps were for um what pretty much what sort of like um what's the word um what sort of sparked his interest in islam and how did it kind of help him become the man that he is yeah i mean you got to understand too um you know the the book is 16 chapters right mm -hmm. and we don't even mention islam until chapter 15 you know yeah. so you have 14 chapters of just a crazy life so you can do the math yourself and see if the man that you see now, you know, what was it that, that was that powerful to ground this man? You know, he was known as being just a wild, just out of, you know, out of control, even himself, you know, he said, he, I was just wild. I was just, you know, I was just, I was just out of control. I was lost, you know, and, um, you know, when people get like that, you know, they're just out of control. You know, he was, um, it got to a point where, where not, I wouldn't say pushed the, the panic mode, but he pushed the, um, he, he got into survival mode, um, basically feeling that if he didn't stop, if he didn't find something powerful, he's gonna, he was going to either kill somebody or he, or he was gonna kill himself, you know? He got that drastic, you know? So he was hitting basically the panic button, looking for something, you know, to ground him. You know, he traveled to Puerto Rico, he did this, he did that. Um, but it just so happened, you know, it, it, it's, you know, the, uh, uh, the chapter 16 is called Peace Found Me because he was looking for something, but he didn't know it was going to be Islam. Yeah. He didn't know there was going to be spirituality. And, you know, he ended up meeting somebody. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but he ended up meeting somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and that person, you know, in a very subtle way, you know, basically invited him to a mosque one day. And in a cool way, too. It, yeah, in a very cool way, yeah. And he, you know, up until that point, Mutar really had a, a, a negative association with Muslims, which is amazing because, you know, he's Muslim. He was born Muslim, you know. So his his entire life, he associated Muslims with murdering his parents. So he had a strong aversion to Islam, just, just associated with that. You know, um, so when the person invited him to the mosque, his first reaction was, oh, my God, why am I going to, you know, why am I going to deal with Muslims? They killed my parents. But he was able to push that, you know, aside and then go to the mosque with like 20, 20 or 30 dudes strapped up, you know, um, <laughs> as he doesn't know who this dude is, he doesn't know where, you know, but he was just surprised at the level of happiness, genuineness, sincerity, you know, the, the amount of love that he received from these strangers. And from that, that point on, it was, that piqued his interest, you know, like who, how are these in the middle of LA, how are these people so nice and cool, you know, and all, all he knows is violence and guns and, you know, drinking and stuff like that so it was it was a profound effect from that one time he went to the mosque and then after that the rest is history you know he, he piqued his interest he started reading more and more until you know he finds you know for him he was like this is what i've been looking for my entire life you know um and then i was you know that was it you know so it was sort of he was looking for something he didn't know was going to be islam but it ended up being the one thing that you know his, his life was a whirlwind and it ended up being the mountain that sort of stabilized everything for him yeah. Do you feel like um, what happened between him and his brother Mill was like yeah. 
uh, like a bottom for him, you know, uh, in a way like it pushed him to be like, okay, I gotta stop. Like, yeah, big time. As I mentioned, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, it got to a point where he was like, either I'm gonna kill somebody, you know, because that's the other thing too, that I'm not gonna get into too much detail. But the other thing too is that up until the point he gets with his brother, he's been exposed to death, but it's never been by his hands. You see what I'm saying? So he's witnessed deaths. Death has happened to so many people around him, but he himself has never killed anybody until the, that one incident where he's very close to killing somebody close to him. And then he's like, you know what? This is, this is getting out of control. So he was already, you know, the, the abuse that he was going through alcohol-wise, you know, the um, emotional and mental trauma from losing so many people, you know, he was ready to kill himself. He said this on a number of occasions. You know, he just, he didn't want to live. He didn't, what was the purpose of living if everybody was dying all over the place, you know? Um, and then, so he already had that, you know, feeling of killing himself. And then he got so violent, you know, with his brother at one time, you know, that, it, you know, it, it almost led to death. So, you know, he sees himself at a crossroads. Either I'm going to kill somebody because I have so much rage or I'm going to kill myself because I'm just so depressed and things like that. And then it was at that point, he's like, look, I, got, I have to do something. I got to yes. do something, man. It was just... Yeah, so it was a, it was at that point uh, for me as a reader, right? When I was reading that right. part, where I connected like a lot with him. You know, there was there was this right. point where I mean, I wouldn't say I had the same exact thing, but I think sure. that's something that a lot of people go through when they when they make a serious change in their life, where they say to right. themselves like, "This is enough. Like, I'm not like this thing I just did, or this way I impacted that person, or like this damage right. I did." I I'm not gonna deal with this anymore. Like I, I need to I need to do something different. Tap out. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and, and, like, and drastic, and drastic. Yeah, sometimes. yeah. And it's like it's like something that uh, it's so relatable. Like I, I could feel like anybody reading even just that part, and not even obviously the rest of sure. the book too. But that particular part, sure. that one like struck a chord. Sure. You know, yeah. And I'm glad to hear that, man, because I'm good. Now go for it, man. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that, man, because like I said, man, you know, you know, honestly, I want the book to be something that, you know, anybody can come to it and be able to relate to some, you know, some aspect of it, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, like I said, it's a human story, you know, not for nothing is, um, and I'll, I'll let you go, Leon. Um, um, there was this uh, British scholar his name is uh, Robert Lowe. He's very well known in terms of, um, you know, English language teaching and, you know, published for Oxford, Cambridge, things like that. He ended up, and, you know, he has, he's a white guy, you know, has nothing to do with Pac, you know, living in the hood, black American, whatever. He read the book and he was like, wow, he's like, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff, but it was really, you know, just an interesting read. I, you know, I, I can't put it down. Um, and he was able to find value in, you know, what he was reading. And that's, that for me is, important as an author because again I wanted to touch everybody who reads I want you to be able to find something in there you know that, that you know that says oh wow you know that you know that that could be me and so what it does is it makes Mutta a relatable person you know it doesn't matter who you are you can relate to you know you can relate to him relate to his story you know and that's important yeah, yeah absolutely man and so um and just to kind of before I was gonna say or before I say what I was gonna say just to point this out yeah. so that's an aspect called spiritual growth an aspect of post-traumatic growth so that's sort of one of the facets where we could say oh like so Muda embodied you know post-traumatic growth so 
we're gonna i want to kind of like as we go along to right. touch on the different elements of it so what i was gonna so what i was gonna also say is that essentially that um when i was reading a story right kind of piggybacking on off what alan said so i mean i guess fortunately or unfortunately muda's early life uh well let me just actually say this his early behaviors were a lot like my early behaviors so i used to get into like random altercations with people um, i was a super angry kid um, i would constantly get into trouble and like in school especially like there was a time where i got sus not suspended but they were like kick me out at random times for like just being a wow. class clown and acting up wow. um, and then like my right. friends would always give me shit because i would get drunk and become belligerent and kind of like ruin relationships right, with right, people right. and i remember reading that and i was like right. man it's like if there's hope for this person right it's like i honestly and i wish i wish i read that story before because there was a time when i felt like this was it i was like like i'm stuck in my personality like the person i am is just not something i'm able to overcome i mean fortunately like i had kind of the mentors and the friends and the teachers to help me out of it but i mean honestly i wish i had that kind of book or that story back like i don't know 10 15 years ago because for me my thinking is it's like if i had like a blueprint to say that here's this person who was almost exactly like you right and who felt the exact same way who felt hopeless who felt like nobody was gonna love him um who felt like even if he does love somebody he's gonna end up losing them like my father ended up sort of leaving our family early so i thought the same way too um and who felt like honestly his only way was like to interact with the world was aggression and I was like, damn, man, if I had a story like that and if I had a blueprint for somebody to show, like, no, man, like, you can get out of this. Like, again, your environment and even your character is not necessarily your destiny. So, I mean, that would have been a big help for me. And so what my hope is that, like, in writing this book and obviously putting the book out there is that even as much as it touches, like, let's say academics and sort of adults and kind of people our age, I honestly also hope it, re it reaches, like, teenagers, man, like teenagers and sort of maybe even preteens. Yeah, so people who grow yeah, so people who kind of grow Absolutely. up in those environments and grow up with those kind of characters and feel like, like this is it, man. Like, I'm stuck in this place and I don't think I'm ever going to get out. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things, too, is, you know, um, this book only accounts for the first 23 years of Mukha's life, you know? So all of this stuff happens and he's basically, you know, a baby, you know? Uh, we have a second part to, you know, the second book that will be coming out, you know, hopefully, you know, next year, when we talk about, okay, now he's, he's lived in Saudi and, you know, he's a, you know, he's a American, different country, you know, how is, how do you know, how does he navigate between both, both worlds? You know, we pick up on stories that were sort of, you know, uh, uh, hung up in the first, you know, the first book and then, you know, we continue to, so, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the book essentially, yeah, if you're a teenager, yeah, you're definitely going to be relating to a lot of things that, you know, that, that he went through. I mean, you know, in many ways, Mutal had to grow up before his time. So, you know, a lot of the things that he, dealt, he deals with are very adult things, you know, at an early age, but at the same time, he's still a child, you know, he's still a child, still a teenager. So, yeah, I definitely hope that, you know, uh, it reaches that, you know, that audience. Yeah, absolutely. And what's cool, too, is, uh, I mean, this is kind of hidden in the book. It's not the main yeah. point. But one thing that I noticed is you kind of learn some entrepreneurial kind of skills while right. reading it. Like, for example, like uh, how connections to other people are really important, right? Right, 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 right. right. Um, right. Also uh, being fiercely loyal. Um, right. And, and like uh, things like that. And, and there were like little things like kind of I picked up on as I'm reading where I was like, sure. oh, okay, like it makes you want to kind of copy certain things sure. that he did. Yeah. Sure, mm -hmm. sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I really, man, you know, not for nothing, man. It's almost 90,000 words. I literally chose every single word carefully, you know what I mean? Um, and anything you see there is not unintentional. It's all there, you know what I mean? To give you 
more than what, you know, when, when a person comes and say, oh, I'm going to read the story of Mutah. Yeah, you're going to read the story of Mutah, but you're going to get hopefully so much more, you know, hopefully life lessons, you know, um, business lessons, like you said, um, academic lessons, um, uh, what else, in musical history, you know, cultural yep. history, I hope you're going to get all that stuff, you know, so I hope that, you know, it, it's going to be much more than what, you know, what the person, you know, expects, and then, that, you know, they can take, you know, again, they can take away many, many different things. Yeah. And that's but another Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's another element of post-traumatic growth, right? Strengthening closer relationships pretty much. And so the other part of it that I felt super connected to was that part, that pretty much the point of the book where he ended up going into the mosque. And, you know, like he, we talk about like, kind of, he came in there with like sort of with guns and with sort of people. And, you yeah. know, he was like, oh, what does yeah. this guy want from me? And so kind right. of another, and this is one of those big elements where I kind of related to, because so a lot of us who come from these different backgrounds, we have really sort of a difficult time trusting love and accepting it. Right. So, for me and him, right, the way we kind of see the, or at least the way we saw the world, I mean, hopefully for me, I don't know if I changed that, changed that much. So um, the way we kind of see the world is that, like, who is this person like who's trying to give me love? Like, what do they want? Like, why is it that they're doing this? What's their sort of motive? Is there something that they're trying to sort of trick me into? So the way he kind of saw it was like, oh, okay, like, look, I'll give you a chance, but I'm going to bring in everybody else just in case you do try to mess with me. And stuff. Exactly, exactly, so, exactly. so it's like for us, man, like the people who've gone through like any sort of trauma, regardless of kind of, like, I guess, what it is, well, I mean, interpersonal trauma. So regardless of what it right. is, we, we find it hard to trust people. And so for Muda, right. man, the part of his life that was like, at least to me, the most important was the relationships was just for the simple right. fact that it seemed like there were only a few people that he was able to trust from the get-go, obviously like his family and then like Pac, who was obviously like his important figure in his life. But then like for the most part, I mean, it kind of seemed like he felt like it was him against the world. And I was like, oh man, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I felt. I had like this core group of people in my life and then everybody else was like somewhat of an enemy, right? If not, like right. in actuality at least in potential mm -hmm. so what i loved about this is that it's like and not to sort of get into this too much obviously because like, we do hope people read the book but the point sure. is that you kind of see that for, for muda what he does is his circle goes from being pretty much this big to being this big and so the love right. that he sort of accepts at some point right eventually expands to the love that he gives and what's so cool about this it becomes it's a virtuous cycle where it goes from like here i am right and i love these few people and here's maybe this other person somewhere on the outside that wants to show me love and then finally i accept it and i give him love and then like oh here are these other people that are giving me love and then the circle kind of expands 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 and then you're like wow man he actually turned into somebody who's kind of like a sage somebody who's sort of put in this positive vibe out into the world and who's showing like man like even if you sort of haven't had love at an early age that doesn't mean you can't transform into a person who's able to give love even to strangers exactly 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 and you know i mean yeah not for nothing i mean you know um he had a lot of love to give. I myself have a lot of love to give. Pac had a lot of love to give. You know, there's a lot of people who have a lot of love to give, but, you know, certain circumstances, you know, change you. So, you know, I think he's always been this person. He's always been this person that's, that's, that got, has nothing, that, you know, but love to give. And the same thing, I think I mentioned it in, in, the, in the book with Pac, you know, he was like that, but because of what happened to him and the, you yeah. know, the, the suffering that he had, he had to be more judicious in who he, who he gave the love out to, you know? Um, and that's, a, you know, that's an unfortunate position to find yourself in when you do have nothing but love to give anybody, to give everybody. But, you know, at the same time, you know, you can't expose yourself to danger, you know? Um, and that was something that, you know, I, I think Pac found, you know, found himself doing. Um, and also, you know, and then that became clear with the whole, um, you know, the whole, uh, his legal ordeals and things like that. With Muta, the same thing, you know? Um, but it wasn't until he, 
you know, became spiritual and found this, you know, found this sort of uh, brotherhood, you know, that, that's, that's real, you know, where he can really, you know, not for nothing, man, but he, him and Saudi, I mean, he's very well known in Saudi, you know, and it's amazing where, you know, people just go to his coffee shop and they know that they can, they can, you know, just go up to him and say, what's up? You know, he's not going to, he's not going to be standoffish. You know, he, he's a very approachable person, you know, and, um, you know, I think that's just part of his character to just show, you know, a lot of love. Um, but again, you know, depending on what, you know, what kind of environment you grew up in, you know, it depends on how, you know, how free you are to give that, you know, or not. And, you know, some, in some places where you just, you know, where, where the environment itself is just, you know, disloyal, betrayal all over the place, you become, you know, become, you know, skeptical. And I think that's just, you know, I think that's a human, you know, that's a human, um, that's just, that's just a natural way to look at things. Um, but yeah, when you can, when you are free to just, you know, have love for everybody and receive the same thing, you know, it's an amazing, it's amazing, you know, it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah, I also like how you um, showed how Tupac was like in the beginning, like when when uh, Moo first met him. Yeah, like how he was, uh, he like right. beaming, smile, mm-hmm. you know, really welcoming, very yeah. real guy, willing to like the way right. he sat him down to listen to Moo's story, you know, like what happened to him and all that. Right. That was a very like the way you wrote it too is a very. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to, it's like I had a different feeling in me. I was like, whoa, okay, like this is a moment to be serious. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it's like, it's as if you're like talking to your family yeah. or something like that, saying something really important that happened to you. Right. Right. And like, yeah, and then, and then you see right. like Pac um, changes in phases, right? Like then, I mean, this, this is not then, a lot of stuff happens, but when he gets shot the first time, and then goes to jail and then like yeah. the, he, he starts to show like kind of like a darker side to him like you said like yeah. more judicious yeah. Yeah. uh but also this is very interesting yeah. too like the kind of books that he was reading like art of war or uh right. Right. The, prince. the prince yeah yeah and like yeah. i mean that was also go ahead sorry yeah yeah, no, that was, it was important. Like I said, you know, there's a lot of opportunities. I told us from, from the beginning, it's not just going to be about, you know, your life. There's just too many things to talk about. And one of the things that was important for me was, you know, for a lot of people, myself included, you know, um, you know, uh, just to sort of give a different perspective on Pac that, you know, number one, he's vilified by the media always as a thug and, you know, somebody who's you know, they're not intelligent or anything, and it couldn't be not compassionate. It could be anything further from the truth. The dude was highly intelligent, um, very compassionate. Um, and the thing is, is that you know, people, people, you know, I think he's he's widely misunderstood, and that might be intentional from the media, or whatever. But one of the things that was important was to show how he transformed. You know, he became Machiavelli. You know, Machiavelli to dawn towards the end of his career for a reason. It was, he didn't he didn't begin like that. He was very socially conscious. You know, keep your head up, dear mama. You know, uh, Brenda's got a baby. You know, um, showing nothing but love. But at the same time, it wasn't white people or white police officers who shot him. It was his own people. You know, it wasn't a white female or you know uh, you know uh, that got him in jail. It was a black female. You know, so he's saying all these songs talking about uplifting his own people. And, you know, at the end of the day, he was done wrong by them, you know, so that's when he sort of became like, look, you know, now it's all about me. It's all about self. I could care less about, you know what I mean? I mean, he still, you know, carries socially conscious messages, you know, towards the later, in the later songs, but you could sell it. He just became, he just became more, he became a monster, basically. He became, 
you know, darker and un unapologetic. And, and, that, and you, you can't, you, you know, you may not necessarily agree with it, but at least you can understand how he got there, you know. And, and so, like, one of the saddest aspects of Pac's story was, um, I think it was sometime in 19, 1996 when they did the second Millionaire March, and the expectation was that him and Sugar were going to be up there, like, or they were going to deliver a speech or at least be there in some form. And, like, Pac was at Rodeo Drive shopping, and it's like, damn, man, I can't believe this is what happened. Like, you would never, you would never expect that from someone like him. I mean, look, I'm not judging him, obviously. I mean, I'm sure he had whatever reason to do that, but, like, the thinking is, like, oh, my God, man, like, at that point, he was so needed at that place. And it's like, right, here he is right. shopping. Sad. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sad. And then at the end of the day, too, you got to understand, he's, he's in his 20s. He's in his early 20s, you know, mid-20s. So, you know, he's got a lot of things going. He's still developing as a man, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things is that, you know, look, if, if, if somebody comes at you, you feel like you're victimized by people, you know, you're going to stand up for yourself. You know, it's, it's time to, you know, it's, you know you're going to stand up for yourself. And that's, that's basically, you know, what I felt like he was doing. He was standing up for himself and basically like letting people like, no, don't, don't try me. You know, and you know, you know, it's, it's not, you know, unfortunately, you guys, you, you changed me. You, you know, you, you created a monster. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's what people got to see towards the end of his career. Yeah, and that reminds me of, uh, go ahead. You want to oh, say yeah. No, nah, go for it. Okay. My, my thing is like a one little point thing. You're probably going to go into <laughs> Okay. I was going to say, so I was watching, uh, I forgot what show he was on. So the rapper Richie Rich, he was doing an interview pretty much about like his music career and like his sort of relationship mm -hmm. with Pac. And so he was talking about like Pac's pretty much childhood naivety in the beginning where he's like, yo, Pac loved everybody, man. He's like, there were times right, right. where some of the older dudes were like, yo, dude, you can't like accept everyone. He's like, it's right. not possible. And Pac would like right. bring in some random dude. He'd be like, oh, that's my brother. Or like, that's right, my right. sister. Like, that's my homie. I love <laughs> these people right, so at the right, beginning right. it was like yo Pac showed love to everybody and Richie Rich is like yo man you can't do that because you can't just bring in random people like because you don't know what they're about like you don't know what they want from right. you but to Pac right, it was like right. no 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 man he's like these people love me and I love them back right. and then you kind of see right. this transformation which sucked obviously because he went from sort of generally loving everybody to then sort of almost generally hating everybody right, and so right, I mean right. you kind of you wish like looking back on his life that he was able to find some middle ground in between and like especially right. with the relationship that he had with Biggie man like that's one of those things man like you really wish that there was some way for them to have like settled it obviously before it escalated right. to that point right right i mean yeah uh, I don't know. oh no yeah honestly yeah get, given more time if if Pac had the time who knows like in what other ways he would have changed what, what other kind of perspectives he would have who he would be like right. today you know right um, right one thing I wanted to say from before is I like right. how he came up with the names for the outlaws. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I, yeah. I, I was like, Oh, okay. That's why Napoleon is Napoleon. That's <laughs> yeah. why Gaddafi okay. is Gaddafi. Uh -huh. exactly. Right? exactly. Yeah. 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 That's yeah, yeah, cool. All these, you know, all these, all those sort of, um, you know, yeah, those little sort of historical things, you know, things that I didn't know myself, you know, these are like the, the nuggets, the jewels that are all throughout the book, you know, um, you know, to get, you know, to get, you know, the thing is too, is Muthah had a quite, quite a close relationship with Pac. So there's a lot of things that, that, you know, he'll be able to, and he does, you know, he goes into, into the book that people just don't know. It's not, you know, it's not general information. Uh, so that's one of the things that, you know, I hope is a, a, a drawing factor, you know, to read the book. Um, yeah. One thing that I also really I like that you did. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> it'll come back. It'll come back. <laughs> It's, a, it's an episode. <laughs> uh, the thing that I really liked yeah. is there are certain characters. So I won't go. I won't say it in too much detail. This is to you know draw people to read it. So 
But sure. I'll say this, uh, the way you mentioned certain people's names in Moo's life, right? The, when he started first meeting them and all that, and then who they actually became later and like they're actually, you know, like uh, music names right. and stuff like that. That was interesting to see. Like there was right, like, right, 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 right. Yeah, there were some characters that I was like, oh, like the whole time he was going to be like, uh, I didn't know that, that it was somebody famous, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Like the Queen Latifah story. Yeah, yeah, that was that was one, really of, the, one of the things we could talk about. Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah, that that's that, you know, and it's amazing. You know, Dana Owens, you know, anybody who knows her real name, be like, oh well, come on, you know. And if you don't know, you know, then you're like, okay, Dana Owens, blah blah blah. And then, you know, like I said, you know, she would have to, you know, leave the friends because she had to pursue a rap career as Queen Latifah. And people are like, oh snap, you know, maybe people don't even know that you know, Muta and Queen Latifah grew up together. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So there's a lot of things like that that people just, you know, they, they're, they're not going to know, you know, unless they, you know, unless they read the book. So that's, that's cool, you know. Yeah, or Yafeu, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm saying Yafeu, his name. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I Yafeu, didn't know yeah. until way later who he was, and I was like, <laughs> right. oh, okay, right. wow, all right. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing, too. That's the thing that surprised me. You know, like I said, I, I grew up, you know, loving Pac and Outlaws and knowing very, you know, quite a lot about them. But the one, one thing that I didn't realize while I was talking to Mutaz about the whole process is how familial they were. They were really like family. You know what I'm saying? They went way, 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 way back before there was anything, before it was Tupac, before it was the Outlaws, you know, they were, they were family, you know? And that's something that's really, um, you know, that's, for me, that's something that's really special about their relationship, you know, their relationship. And it explains everything of just about how close they were. Because, you know, I always thought that there was just some random dudes who came together as a group. And I was like, wow, you know, they really, you know, they came together and they really got love for each other. You know what I'm saying? For me, it was, that was kind of weird because, you know, you know, I'm like, wow, okay, that's, you know, all these dudes have, you know, they want nothing but, you know, they want nothing but love, you know, they got nothing but love for each other and they want everybody to shine and stuff like that. But then when you really understand, no, it's family, you know what I mean? So that, that's what you saw on stage. That's what you saw and how they dealt with each other. It really was family. You know, everybody's moms knew each other, you know, Castro's mom and, and Pac's mom were, were sisters. They're actually cousins, blood cousins that I didn't know, you know, so, um, you know, like all these little things, man, it's going to be interesting for, for the real, you know, diehard, you know, outlaw fans and pop fans to, 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 to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what was dope was like kind of touching, just going back to the image of the outlaws, was that he even had Storm in there. So for like, for those yeah, of you yep. who kind of don't know, Storm was actually one of the early female gangster rappers. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So like, even though Queen Latifah obviously was sort of, a, she came around, I think she was, she yeah. became popular probably four or five years before like Storm was a hit. And, um, and the, the Lady of Rage, right? The other sort of death row yeah. artists. So, but the yeah. point was like, even though Queen Latifah was popular at the time, like she had a socially conscious message. So it was more about like right. female empowerment, feminism, you know, sort of right. social rights issues. Whereas Storm was like a straight up gangster rapper, man. I mean, she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Pac was like, I mean, like, obviously I don't know enough about their relationship to say, but the point is that like Pac loved her obviously it seemed like and he kind of right. brought her in right. and honestly man like she was one of, one of the dopest artists i've ever encountered and what's yeah, shocking yeah, to me cool. is that yeah, yeah yeah and what's shocking to me is that like she actually didn't sort of become more prolific or more famous than she did right 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 yeah she's cool man i was able to interview her for the book and i was that was one of the main you know you know one of the things that was important at the same time it was you know it was cool for me it was to talk to all these people that mm -hmm. um you know to get their first-hand account you know because again that to me it just raises the authenticity of the book um, you know, and Storm was one of them, you know, and she, you know, we, we try to shout her out as much as we could, you know, in the book. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, they all have basically the same, 
you know, the same uh, synopsis of who Mutal was. He was just a wild dude. You know, he was a wild dude who was raw and real and wasn't afraid, you know, of anything, you know. And, and they were all, you know, pretty much shocked to see this transformation that he made, you know. Yeah. I mean, what does he think about his music career now? I know, it does, I know he's obviously transitioned into poetry and obviously into, I mean, writing at this point. And, uh, but like, I mean, does he still at some point like look back on his career with fondness? I mean, yeah, I mean, he, you know, it, it was, it served a purpose, you know, served, you know, it, you know, it had his time. Um, you know, he was actually going to, before he just left it all together, he was going to put out uh, a record that was going to be what he called cleaned up, you know, music really wasn't going to talk too much about like, you know, drugs and stuff like that. Um, and he, he produced with, with uh, I think, Johnny J. Right. Um, and um, and Mike Epps was there as well, and he was, you know, listening to it and everything. And, you know, they all thought that that was his best music. That was the best, you know, that was the best, his best production. He sort of left it on the table. So, you know, I think, you know, I think he'll always have, you know, an affinity for, for writing rhymes and, and lyrics, things, you know, things like that, but obviously without the music. But, you know, he's, he's, I think he's sort of transitioning into that, into poetry. So I think he's going to take, you know, poetry up to be, a, um, you know, again, that, that sort of therapeutic uh, outlet that rap was, you know, and he could still, you know, achieve some of the, some of the things that he wanted to achieve through, you know, rap. It just would be, you know, without accompanying uh, uh, musical instruments. And, you know, he has, as you saw, he has an intro poem for the book. He has an outro poem for the book. And it still just, it shows, he still got it, you know, he still, he hasn't lost anything, you know, so I think, you know, uh, poetry and, and, and putting rhyme to words is always going to be a part of his, you know, so it's, it's just who he is, you know, he'll never, I don't think that'll ever, that'll ever go away. Yeah, man. And so one of my favorite songs of his that I still like listen to to this day, pretty, pretty, I guess a lot. So um, the song that he did with Johnny J and Val Young, Never Forget. So for those of you guys okay. who don't know, so um, he actually made a video for it too. And it's a letter to Pac. So the reason why it's called Never Forget, it's pretty much he's saying that we'll never forget everything you did and sort of the influence that right. you had on us. And what's so right. dope about that song is Moo actually ended up taking all of Pac's hits, he put them together into these rhymes and he would like pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he would say like, remember Brenda? Oh yeah, she had an another baby oh yeah that rose from the concrete it did grow so like pretty much he takes like all of his songs and he's like giving him a letter kind of giving him an update on like how the sort of uh, mythical people in these songs are doing and then he updated him on how the outlaws are doing and how he's doing and then val young sings the hook for that song i love that song man yeah and it's like it's interesting I i think that was the last thing he did right that was like part of that last album that never came out i'm not sure i can't yeah i don't i don't know the yeah i got i stopped listening man like 2000 yeah, because I think the video came out in 2003 and it seemed like from the chronology in your book that that was pretty much when he called the quits. Yeah, 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 2003, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was, go ahead. One thing, you know, um, so when he actually uh, converted to Islam, right, and mm-hmm. he started to read scripture and started to mm-hmm. like understand like, uh, about more about like his relationship to drinking right and then trying to you know detach himself from that um so i like how it was a very real look at um what it's like to kind of get out of drinking uh because it wasn't yeah, one two three uh it took him like it, it looked uh, like it like a couple of years uh after he started practicing yeah like uh yeah i mean i guess i won't go into too much details about his like first fast but like 
as but as you could see like as he started learning more about the religion and like what he had to do to really you know get that spiritual side of him taken care of mm-hmm. it, it, I, I gotta say i really respect like how he went through the whole process it's it's not easy not a lot of people get out and the right. fact that he was able to that's just sure. also a very inspiring thing you know appreciate it man. appreciate it yeah i mean i was again like i said we have many different audiences and, and one of the audiences that's targeted is you know people who who struggle with substance abuse and, and alcohol abuse you know and that you know you might find yourself in a you know position where you just feel like you can't make it but you know you, you know it's it, nobody changes overnight and that's that that was that was what was important for us to mention in the, in the book is that yeah i mean he had a huge drinking problem that you see you know evolve throughout the book and he wasn't able to stop it cold turkey but you know he he, he resolved to he saw the ill effects of it and you know at some point you know gradually he was able to kick it you know and so you know at the end of the day like i said you know um people who struggle, hopefully they can have, you know, sort of roadmaps and blueprints, as you mentioned, you know, to try to achieve the things that they, you know, would like to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the most important aspects of the book is when you guys characterize this drinking as something that was more of a habit than something that brought him joy. So often the misconception is that people who yeah, struggle yeah. with any sort of substance use, whether alcohol, any sort of drug, uh, what people think is that like, oh, well, uh, what these people are doing is they're actually enjoying their lives, right? So it's like they're sabotaging their lives uh, and they're hurting uh, other people, but they're actually like spent most of the time in joy, uh, like mm-hmm. they're in ecstasy. And so it's actually not true. So when it comes to substances, right, initially, right, there's obviously the high, especially even with alcohol. But when it kind of the person goes down the line, the, and I could tell you, by the way, I like struggle with alcoholism for at some point in my life too. I mean, there was a point when I was a heavy drinker and I could tell you, man, like somewhere down the line, I think probably two years into it, I didn't even enjoy drinking. There were times where like all of us were hanging out and getting drunk. And I was like, this is fucking boring. Like there's nothing, nothing good is coming up. This. <laughs> you know? And then it's like, and for people, they sometimes think like, oh, these people, like these, you know, substance abusers or alcoholics, like they're so selfish instead of taking on their responsibilities. Like they're just off having fun. And the great point, or one of the great points of the story was that you guys painted the picture of Buddha actually kind of suffering with alcoholism. And even yeah. though he knew on the one hand that it wasn't the thing to do because it was obviously ruining his life. On the other hand, he didn't know how to sort of just put it down, obviously. And that's the epitome of what it means to be an alcoholic. No alcohol, let me me not generalize, but most alcoholics do not think of it and think of waking up every day and it's like, oh man, it's 7 a.m. I'm going to go get drunk right now. It's it's not like, so they pretty much, it's a wake up and then it's like, oh shit, now I got to get to do this to get me through the day. Exactly. It's a creature habit, you know, so just, you know. Yeah, I like how, uh, whatchamacallit, um, after being introduced to Islam, and then it, it like even changed his relationship to drinking in the beginning. Like, right. I, I forgot what the line was exactly. But it was something that basically said that he before he was drinking all day, or he drank, not to have fun, I forgot what it was. But pretty much at one point, he's like, actually, now I just drink because it's a habit. Mm-hmm. And like, right. I, I just feel like I need to uh, something like right. that. Uh, and then, so even seeing that was good. It's like, it was like one step into like the way out of that. So that, that was interesting to see too. Yeah. I mean, throughout the whole time, you know, he's, he's very aware of, of who he is and what he's becoming and what he's not becoming, what he's doing, what he's not doing. So, I mean, that, you know, that, that is also kudos to him. And it's also, again, a testament to his character that, 
and you know, a lot of people too, they go through this, you know, like for instance, I'm, you know, I'm from Brooklyn and you'll find a lot of people in Brooklyn, he might be a drug dealer, he might be whatever, but he'll tell you straight up, I know this is not right. I know what I'm doing is not right. I'm just mm-hmm. doing it because I can't eat. I don't have any other, I can't find any other way to pay my bills, you know? And, it, and it's this sort of, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, realness, but it's just this sort of honesty with yourself you know, and what you're doing and the self-reflection of, you know, what you're doing, you know, I think that was a major part of him, you know, being able to transform as well, because he was always in tune with, you know, who he was, what he wanted, you know, what was going on. Um, you know, and some people don't do that. Some people like to gloss over, like if they have an alcohol problem, they say, I don't have a problem when you really do, you know, or if like, like, you know, um, I remember back in college, you know, I have my own, my own balance with alcohols and stuff like that. Um, but I'd be, we'd be in college and, you know, these guys would be like, oh, man, this is the best stuff, you know, we're doing on earth. And, you know, and, and, you know, and then you feel awful the next day. And I'm like, dude, this is not the best. I mean, come on, man, let's be real. This is not, you know, you feel like garbage, you know, the next day. So let's not be real that, that this is the, the greatest thing on earth when it's not, you know. So that's the thing is that, you know, some people, they ignore, you know, the reality, you know, and they, they, they create this fantasy world. And rather than puncture that bubble and face reality, they just continue to live, live it, in it for the rest of their life. You know, and that's sad, you know, because these type of people, they never get out of situations they're in. Uh, Mutal wasn't like that. You know, he, he recognized the, the situations he was in, called it for what it was, and then, you know, found ways to, to you know, to navigate. So I think that's, that's an important part also of, you know, finding solutions, just being real, being real with yourself, being real with the situation you're in. Yeah. And so that reminds me of my favorite metaphor in the book. So um, okay. to, uh, before I get into it, so I just want to say with the alcoholism. So what I kind of figured out at some point, like when I was like drinking heavily, is that alcohol is actually a substitute for love. Because the way I kind of sort of, uh, I guess, conceptualized it was in my mind, when I was really drunk, I really felt like sort of this aura of love around and I was like, oh, man, like, I feel so good right now. Like, you know, the dopamine is sort of flowing in your brain and you're feeling like, wow, you know, like you're magical, right? And you feel like sort of the whole world loves you. And so that reminded me of this metaphor that you had. I don't remember it verbatim, but it was pretty much from who ended up putting his head and bowing down on the mat on the rug. Right. And then so essentially, right. right, he sort of he felt um, he pretty much felt the power of sort of, of Islam or the power of the love in the mosque. He kind of felt it flow through him. And I was like, damn, man, like, that's it. That's what people feel when they're drinking. Like, they feel like. Like, honestly, their whole body is just full of love. And Bermuda ended up, I think, why it was such a kind of an important pivot point or pivotal point, I guess, for him was when he when he kind of bowed on that rug and he felt sort of God's, I guess, embrace, right? In his mind, he was like, all right, my sort of conception in his mind he was probably thinking like damn man like this is it like i don't need alcohol anymore at least not in the way i used to so but with people when the kind of when we're um as i guess as therapists or as you know substance abuse counselors when we're trying to get people to stop drinking or stop using drugs we often fail to find appropriate substitutes for them like healthy relationships so sometimes people are like oh well here's what you could do instead of drinking right you could kind of go do this instead or that but the point is that the alcohol or the drugs they're pretty much substitute for love so if this person can't accept love they're not going to give up drinking drinking is itself its own relationship and that's something that i think like a lot of people don't get you're in a relationship with alcohol the alcohol even though it doesn't obviously talk back to you it makes you feel great sense of warmth and affection so it's like when you drink it you're like oh man i feel complete right now and that's what was so cool about that metaphor because it felt like Moodus pivoted and substituted that alcohol or that sort of um i guess the glow or the high of alcohol he substituted it with the warmth he felt in that mosque Right. Well, that's the thing is that, you know, you, you nailed it on the head. 
you know, alcohol is, it's a temporary escape. It's a false escape, right? And for those, that hour, the, you know, the, the hours that you're, you know, drunk or whatever, yeah, you temporarily feel great, you know? But then when that high is, is, is done, when your buzz is finished and you come back to reality, then, you know, reality hits you. And so now you become in a vicious cycle where you're always looking for that escape. And that escape will always be temporary. It'll always be temporary. So you're chasing something, you're chasing an escape that'll never, it's never going to fulfill you because it, it, it's only temporary. Whereas for, you know, Mutal, when he went to the mosque, that was a real escape. It was an escape that he was able to, you know, you know, give himself up, you know, uh, in the way he described, give himself up, give all his worries, you know, uh, basically to God. And he didn't have to be under the influence to do that. And so now you don't need intoxicants. You don't need any substance to help you escape. You have, you know, an escape that's with you all the time and it's, you know, it's natural. So, um, you know, I think that's one of the, like you said, and, you know, and then, you know, for people it may not be necessarily spirituality, but they will need in order to escape the, the grips and the clutches of alcoholism and substance abuse, they need to have a substitute escape that's going to be, real and it's going to be permanent. It's going to be something that they can turn to and draw on at any time it's going to be there. Otherwise, alcohol and, and you know, substance abuse, that's always going to be their go-to thing because they want to, you know, they want to get out of something, you know, and that's why they turn to, you know, uh, alcohol and, and uh, substance abuse. Maybe if, like you said, if they have real, you know, loving relationships, then those relationships will fill the void and they would need, they would need, you know, they would need alcohol, they would need substance abuse. No. Yeah. yeah, that's why Muta's uh, story is so inspirational, right? He he found the strength within himself to actually face reality. Mm -hmm. That's that's yep. something that a lot of people who are you know uh, having issues with substance abuse or alcoholism, that's something wow. that they don't have yet, right? Exactly. So seeing him on his journey for a person like mm -hmm. that, but even again all kinds of people again this book is for yeah. every kind of person but really but for those, for those people specifically they, they could be like okay well he did it you know and look what he went through maybe maybe i could do it too right this this yeah. this uh, this is something that is not impossible somebody else did it so i can do it too exactly. what one man can do i can do too yeah. right exactly. yeah exactly. yeah yeah. yeah. And it's also just to add on to that, I would also say it's sort of, <laughs> it's the kind of acceptance of love, man. And that's, I think, if anything, my sort of understanding of mental illness, especially when it kind of comes to not so much anxiety, but when it comes to depression, uh, the, diff the kind of different personality disorders, is that at bottom, they're all sort of a deficit of love or a deficit of a sense yeah. of being lovable. And if you look exactly. at the story of move, we could kind of find, let's say, a major theme in it, I would say it's sort of in the beginning, well, not in the beginning, because I don't want to, uh, obviously, when his parents were still alive, I'm sure he didn't feel this. But somewhere down the line after they passed away, right, there was a sense of like, oh, I'm unlovable and I'm worthless, like screw my life, right? I might as well just do whatever because nobody cares. I don't care. And then it kind of went down to the point where like, oh, shit, like maybe I do have some value. Maybe I do have something to offer, especially these random people who don't know me and who are showering me with affection. Maybe God wants something different for me. Maybe my life was meant to have been something else, right? Maybe I was supposed to have sort of put a message out into the world or maybe I was supposed to have helped inspire people through my story. And just sort of the thing that ties the book 
together is pretty much the idea that my life is meaningful. That in the end, what Mood I think found out, and I mean, obviously, not much, that much of a spoiler. I mean, we kind of anybody who knows Mood knows that he feels like life is meaningful. His life is meaningful. So, but the thing is, like, what's so cool about it? It's sort of a journey and a kind of, I guess, a how-to or a guide. How does a person through all of the tragedy eventually find meaning, not only in life, but obviously find meaning within themselves and find value within exactly. themselves? And that's what exactly. made the story so poignant to me. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you got all that from it. Absolutely, man. All right. So, um, yeah. So, this is such a great interview, man. So, before we wrap up, Alan, any final questions and thoughts before we go? Yeah, it's amazing. It's already already an hour. I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) We like, yeah. We freestyle this. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, if, uh, out of curiosity, uh, when is the book actually coming out? So it's scheduled, the, the ebook is scheduled to come out next Friday. Um, if there's any changes, that we'll let everybody know. Uh, the, and it's going to be released in phases. So we have phase one, which will be the ebook and the audio book. And then, you know, d- due to, you know, just a lot of different logistical things, uh, we weren't able to get the, you know, we're still trying to get the print uh, version and the, you know, the hard version out. So that will be phase two. Um, but yeah, phase one is the ebook and the audio book out uh, hopefully by next Friday. Cool. Okay. cool. I, I could probably find something like that on like Amazon or something, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Amazon, Kobo, um, Lulu, uh, Barnes and Nobles. Yeah. It's on our, um, it's on my uh, Instagram on the Plaza Instagram and also on the books, Instagram, uh, life, uh, at life is raw outlaw. And then at Suleiman Jenkins and at Mutabio, you can find all, all information. Yeah. Cool. And where can we find you guys on Twitter? On Twitter, uh, Muta, I think it's at Muta Napoleon. Yep. I have to check that. But me, I'm saying uh, at Suleiman Jenkins. All right. Awesome. 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 <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank we you. actually, I'm so excited to release this interview. I can't wait. No I problem, man. Anytime. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no problem, man. Appreciate All it, right. man. It's been a pleasure, and I'm glad you, <clears throat> I'm glad you guys enjoyed the book. Absolutely, man. Thanks so probably. we'll be in touch soon, man. Have a good one. No problem. Sound good. All right. So that was, first of all, that was awesome. That was a little shaky there. You know, I'm always, you know, when I uh, let the guests go, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> you gotta be patient, man. Well, all right. So if you guys want to follow us, follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram, and at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Like, subscribe, hit the hit bell. The bell. Mm-hmm. And then you can also find us at the O4L Online Network at O4LOnlineNetwork.com. You can find us under the STM podcast section. And also follow our guy Vegas Media Designs at Instagram, who pretty much takes care of all of the wonderful visuals for our show. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching and look forward to next week's episode.